0: I don't want trouble. I'm I'm a lover, not a fighter. I'm a lover, not a fighter. That's the statement we who don't like pain and trouble love. I'm a lover, not a fighter. Jesus was a lover and Jesus was a fighter. Jesus was a lover with his sheep. When you read the Gospels, you see a lover. He loved his sheep, who always go astray, as we know. But the sheep go astray, but Jesus is always there comforting them, loving them, patiently teaching them, patiently teaching his disciples about himself and about his salvation, patient, merciful with his sheep. But we also see Jesus in the Gospel as a fighter. Against the religious establishment of the day, against the religious leaders, Jesus fought. He was a fighter. He would fight with truth the truth that they were not children of God, but rather offspring of the devil. And these offspring, we know, killed the author of life. And with Jesus dead, These serpents now attack his church. With Jesus out of the way, it's time to go after the church. But there's one problem that Acts answers today. Jesus is not out of the way. We are studying the acts of the continuing ministry of Jesus Christ And he continues, as we see this morning, we will see this morning, hopefully, he continues to fight. Jesus is a fighter. That's the truth we want to find in Acts this morning. In Acts 4, Jesus is a fighter. We are a church at war, it's an old fight. God first promised in the garden, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between her offspring and your offspring. Enmity, enemies, hatred. There's a battle. There's a fight. Enmity. And so we find in the Bible that the offspring of the serpent hates the church. The offspring of the serpent hates the church but guess what we hate the offspring of the serpent too that hatred is shared among us i will put enmity between you two and we see that enmity here in our text acts 4 verse 1 and as they were speaking they that's the ministers of the gospel Peter and James preaching the gospel, speaking to the people, and immediately the moment they spread that seed of the gospel, they are throwing the, the seeds of the gospel out onto the soil of men's hearts. And immediately, as Jesus warned, as, as soon as the gospel is, is, is land on the soil of man's hearts, the birds of prey, these antichrist fowl, they have come to pick it up, that it might not take root. And immediately the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them because they hate the gospel. The Antichrist is annoyed with the gospel. Verse two, greatly annoyed. They were angry, enmity, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. It's interesting that he notes the Sadducees here. The Sadducees hated the doctrine of the resurrection. There's a weird thing in some, some, some forms of Judaism here at Sadducees, and it still continues today. There is in some places or some parts of Judaism a denial of an afterlife. It's simply... Your best life now. I, I've always found that awkward that there would be a religion that doesn't have an afterlife. Like, why would we care about a religion without afterlife? And I find it very strange. But even more alarming is that this doctrine is beginning to take root in some Christianity. Why on earth? I have no idea. I guess people just want their best life now, and they're happy with that. They're happy with just the best life now. Focus on the social gospel, health and wealth, and so forth. But why religion? Anyway, the serpent here we see attacks the church. Verse 3 and they arrested them and put them in custody till the next day. It was evening. So they arrested them. What you have to recognize here in this text is that the Sadducees had no power to arrest, they have no power to arrest the church. That power belonged to verse 1, the temple, or the captain of the temple. The captain of a temple was a Roman captain. You see here, the Sadducees are using the sword of Rome. They're using the state to uphold their religion. Do you see that? They use Rome. They did the same against Christ, did they not? Suffered under Pontius Pilate. Antichrist hates the separation of church and state. Why? Because the church has no earthly force. And the false church needs the state to police those who contradict her. I get uncomfortable when Christians start claiming the necessity of a Christian state. I get uncomfortable because I know our past. I've said this before and it is true. There have been more Christians put to death, more Christians martyred, killed for the gospel by Christians than any other force against Christianity. The Greco-Romans first persecuted the Christians and put a few to death in a sizable number. The Jews a little bit. But then the Middle Ages... The Middle Ages is a 1,000 experiment of the union of church and state. And in that 1,000-year union of church and state, we have 1,000 years of Christians being slaughtered by Christians. And then it compounds during the Reformation. The serpent says things like, we need prayer back in public school. That's a claim of the serpent. We need prayer back in public school so that the serpent can train your children in their ways of prayer. Don't be naive. Just because something is Christian does not make it Christian. The serpent wants ten commandments posted on every public building to get you focused on the law in order to hide the gospel of free grace. You see, it's easier to mix the law and the gospel when you're just focused on the law, when it's front and center continually and the culture is behaving well. The gospel can be diminished. The serpent loves Christian culture because... Through Christian culture, it creates Christians out of fear. Fear of not belonging or worse, retribution. In the Bible Belt, for example, I grew up in the Bible Belt. In the Bible Belt, every business owner needs an icathus. Every business owner places an icathus on its ads, on its trucks, if it's a plumber, it will have a plumbing, and then there's an ichthus, the, the, the Christian fish, right? That fish symbol. And when you used to look through the yellow pages, I know we don't look in the yellow pages anymore, but in the Bible Belt where I grew up, you'd open the yellow pages, and every ad had the fish. If you didn't have that fish, you wouldn't sell your goods. You wouldn't get hired. It's compulsory Christianity, it's Christianity out of fear. In that case, fear of the Christian market. The serpent loves Christianity as an adjective to bind and to attack the church. And the serpent attacks, even kills. He takes on culture. But nevertheless, the church and the gospel is too powerful. Verse 4 But many of those who had heard the word believed. And the number of the men came to about 5,000. Antiquity had a saying. We had this wonderful Christian saying from Antiquity The blood of the martyrs, you know it. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Beautiful statement. Paul said 2 Timothy 2 9, I am suffering for the gospel. Bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. You see, the the state tries to bind Christ. Culture tries to take him over. But it's (laughs) folly. That's a word, not folly. Folly. For the gospel is greater than any power, whether earthly or spiritual. Here we do well to remember Romans 8. One of my favorite chapters in the Bible, Romans 8, we hear, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. That's the truth of Scripture. The church is being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, in that persecution, in that martyrdom, through Christ, we are more than conquerors. Victory, even in the midst of persecution. Paul writes, for I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor powers, nor height, nor debt, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You see there, friends, there's your great comfort. There's the great comfort, the free offer of the gospel. No matter your troubles, no matter your trials, no matter your temptation, no matter your power to sin... Nothing can separate you, not even your own trouble, not even your own sin, not the state, not the culture. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. His grace is greater than your sin. That's the heart of the gospel there. His grace is greater. It's greater than you. Now the scene draws us into the nest of vipers. Verse 5. On the next day their rulers and elders, now the scene is changing. We're entering into the viper's nest. The next day their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Ananias, the high priest, Saphias, and John and Alexander, and all who are the high priestly family. And there they are, the serpent's den, gathered as the Old Testament church, a false church. And this false church gathers and coils around the neck of these Christians to choke them out, verse 7. And when they had set the disciples in the midst of them, there they are, they're in the midst of the nest of this den of of corruption. And so the false church then inquired of them, by what power or by what name did you do this? It's a church court, but it's a false court. It's a kangaroo court. (laughs) The expression we use. You see, these leaders of Israel, they knew what name and what power. Nothing here is honest. Name here stands for authority, and that's the problem. False church loves authority. And the disciples were acting under another authority. You see, the Sadducees thought they were under God's authority. And here's the truth of Antichrist that you must recognize... Antichrist, false churches, false Christians, cults, and so forth, they're all sincere. They all believe they're doing the work of God. Even when they're putting Christians to death, they think they're doing the work of God. Killing. So sincerity is not a test for genuineness. That's what you hear today. Well, he's sincere. Why do you go to that church? Well, they're all sincere there. Who cares? (laughs) They could be sincerely wrong. They probably are if they're not reformed. But here, we find the right side is God's side. Verse 8: Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, that's the Bible's way of announcing the children of the woman, the offspring of the woman. And he's filled with the Holy Spirit. In the red trunks, (laughs) weighing in at whatever they weighed in back then is the offspring of the serpent. But here in the blue trunks, the church filled with the Holy Spirit, weighing in with much power, filled with the Holy Spirit, they said, the church, the disciples said to them, rulers and people of Israel, filled with the Holy Spirit. If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all you and to all the people of Israel. I love it here. Filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter taunts the enemy. That's what he's doing. He's taunting them. Oh, okay. So you arrested us because we were merciful to a cripple. Oh, I get it. You're charging us with some conspiracy and trouble because we healed a man and we were merciful. So you're you're punishing us for being being good and merciful. This is your religion then, right? I love this because what we find in Peter here and taunting these religious leaders is we see Peter following his Lord. You see, it was Jesus who did the same with these religious leaders, did he not? He taunted them, called them nasty little names, like sons of hell, Whitewashed tombs. Jesus said, never call anyone a fool. Did he not? But what did he call the leaders of Israel? You fools. He taunted them. He fought. He attacked. Paul said to the church in Philippi, watch out for dogs. Dogs. Watch out for those Judaizing Christians. Watch out for those Christian, those legalistic Christians that want to make Christian everything and mix the law and the gospel. He says they're dogs. Watch out for those dogs. Filled with the Holy Spirit, Christians taunt their enemy. That's a charismania I can get behind. <laughs> Now, the serpent's very clever. He knows this weapon. He knows Jesus used it. He knows the church is using it, and the church continues to use it. You see it in the ancient church. You see it in the Reformation. The Reformation loved Luther. Ho oh, oh, oh. You want to see someone who likes to taunt the beast. <laughs> Study, read Luther. And the serpent began to realize it's probably Luther that really made him finally figure it out. The offspring of the serpent realized this weapon of taunting. And so he came up with a new weapon. Actually, he came up with a new virtue in the Christian West or Western thought altogether, even secular Western thought today. And the key virtue the serpent has given us in the culture today, that key virtue is the virtue of nice. you got to be nice. If you aren't nice, if you don't respect everyone's opinion today, you're a heretic. But guess what? That's stupid. But I can say that, because I'm a heretic. <laughs> But that's okay. Because God is not nice. God is love. But God is not nice. The two are not the same. I once had a Jehovah's Witness come to my house, knock on the door. And I answer the door, there's a lady and her child... And we began to discuss, and after several appeals to truth and her denying it, I said to her, lady, you are tying a millstone around your daughter's neck. She was stunned. She was flabbergasted because that is not a nice thing to say, but here's the deal. It may not be nice, but it was loving. I had one shot. I'll probably never see that lady again. I knew it. I had one shot to convince her to leave that cult and to follow Christ, and I used the law. And It wasn't nice, but I wasn't angry. I didn't do it out of pride. I wanted to convince her to put something in her way, Something for her to think about. (laughs) Because I knew she was gonna leave. I'm not calling us to be jerks. And we're not out there just lobbing bombs. You gotta have humility. You gotta have a lot of wisdom. But you can't be always be nice. Can't always be nice. We fight with love, which means we cannot always be nice. The disciples aren't nice. They're dropping bombs here in our text. Verse 10. Let it be known to all of you and who all the people of Israel, by the name of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified. You're killers. That's not a nice thing to say, is it? You're killers. Peter looks at this den of vipers and calls them what they are. And then he goes on. Whom God raised from the dead. And that really will irritate a Sadducee, right? They don't believe in the resurrection. He goes right to the heart of the doctrine that is true. It's resurrection. By resurrection power, this man is healed. Nothing here is nice. This is straight up attacking. He raised from the dead. By by him, by Christ, the resurrection, this man is standing before you well. And then they get even meaner. Verse 11, this Jesus. And now they quote the Sadducees' Old Testament and use that Old Testament against them. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders. And what Peter is saying here, you know, the promised Old Testament that there will be a false church that will attack the Messiah? Well, guess what? You are the man. You're the false church. You're the Antichrist, the Anti Messiah. But through you, Christ is building his church, which has become the cornerstone. That's a mega bomb he's dropping. Peter is telling these Jews that they are actually standing in the way of God. It's a fight. (laughs) It's church militant. Here's my rule. I think it's biblical, but I'm going to call it my rule just to be safe. When it comes to Christians laity, and so forth. Be patient, be kind with them, be loving. Reformation is hard work. But when it comes to Christian rulers, leaders, teachers, don't flatter them with nicety. You'll notice in my sermons that I don't mind attacking and even calling out the name Christian leaders who preach false gospel, false false doctrines. You'll notice I never attack the person, the man, the character of the person, the ad hominem arguments. I don't use those, but I go after his public teaching. And I won't hold punches, and I'll say the names. I don't hold back because they are leading Christ's sheep astray. With the sheep, be gentle. Reformation takes time, but with these leaders, they call themselves pastor or teacher. And they corrupt God's word and it's open season. So that's my rule, open season. <laughs> Listen to Calvin here. Calvin said, we cannot be silent as to be kind. So even Calvin was, in, was anticipating this nicety that was already happening in his day. We cannot be silent as to be kind. This betrays the truth of Christ. We must remain serious, openly accusing, openly accusing false teachers but he says, but not by losing our temper. Don't lose your temper. And if you do this, if you openly accuse and not lose your temper, people who follow this will not only have Peter as their example, but they'll have God's Spirit as well. Because filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter goes after, he fights. And this next verse is probably the least nice thing to say to Jews. Verse 12. And there is no salvation in no one else. You you can't say that today, by the way. You're a heretic if you say that. There's no salvation. Because what you're saying is your opinion is garbage. Your ideas, your philosophy, your religion, worthless. That's what you're saying when you say this. There is no salvation. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must Be saved. Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. It may not be nice to say that, but you know what it is? It's Protestant. It's Protestant. Solus Christus, Christ alone. Protestant. Protesters. Protestants, friends, we're a fighting tradition. We're a fighting religion. We're protesters against anyone who denies God's word. We fight those who corrupt the truth. It may be nice to leave men in their sin by not offending them, but it's not love. Don't be nice. If someone says to you, well, all religions are the same, don't be nice. All religions are the same. Here's a good reply. All religions are the same. Wow. You got to study all the religions in the world? Man, how long did that take you? And man, where'd you get all the money to fly around the world and fly to all the little islands and just study all the religions of the world? That must have took you a lifetime. I'm impressed. You studied all the religions of the world. But I'm a little confused. Now, I know you're the, you know, you're the expert. You have studied all the religions in the world. But it seems to me perhaps you forgot the major ones like Christianity, Judaism, Islam... Did you perhaps fail to look into those three? Because when you do, you'll find that they totally disagree on some major tenets of their faith. Even just take Jesus, for example. Islam thinks that Jesus was a prophet, but not God. Jesus, Christians think he's God, and Jews could do without both of them. Muhammad and Jesus. So it kind of seems to me that perhaps you're stupid. <laughs> Don't say that. Maybe. Well, what gives you the right to say someone else's religion is wrong? Ah, don't be nice. Someone else's religion. So you can say I'm wrong. So God's given you the right to call me wrong. Because you're making a religious statement and you're saying I'm wrong. So you have the right, but I do not have the right. Well, God doesn't take sides. Oh, I see. He's taking your side. It's a good form of apologetics. We don't cower. At stupidity? These are all stupid questions. God can God make a rock so big he can lift it. Well that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. God can't oppose himself. It's like having God versus God fighting. There's only one God. You're you're an idiot. Your math doesn't line up. It's just simply a dumb statement. I could go on. Don't be nice. That's a good form of apologetic. So much of apologetics is we sit back and we, quail, we cower and we try to give the answers. Don't give an answer. Make them answer for their stupidity. Put it back onto them. If they put it back on you, put it back on them so they don't have an answer. And let them wallow in their ignorance and then just say, man, sucks to be you. I have answers. You don't. I have science on my side. You're anti-scientific. They yeah, had really get them. Everything comes from nothing. That's the dumbest statement I've ever heard. Don't be nice. Be a Christian. How's that for from the pulpit? Don't be nice. Verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated, common men. They were astonished. And they recognized that they have been with Jesus. We're doing some math here. Follow with me. Verse 14. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. So here they see how oh, we got uneducated men plus this great miracle equals ignorance. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another. Now it's just the serpents conferring with one another saying, what shall we do with these men? Now notice what this council does not do. This council does not go to God's word. This council does not recognize mercy and grace. All they know is they don't want the message to go forward for that a notable sign has been performed among us. They know there's something. It's evident, it's evident to all. I love it here. We, can't, we ourselves can't even deny it. But we're going to deny Christ in verse 17. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. This is the council of Antichrist. Let's tell the church not to speak as the church. Let's have them speak the native language of the offspring of the serpent. That's what the offspring loves to do, right? the language of the offspring of the serpent, it's lies. That's what the offspring loves to do. He loves to lie. He wants the church to lie. Spread false doctrine and false truth. He wants the church to lie and and spread false doctrine that the church might be nice. Nice to one another. So they leave the disciples with this warning. And we see that warning in verse 21. And when when they had further threatened them, they let them go. They threatened them. They couldn't find a way to punish them because of the people. But they're all praising God for what happened. They're afraid of men. The Antichrist is more afraid of men than than God. For the man on whom the signs of healing were performed were more than 40 years old. So they they fear, they don't fear God, they, they fear man. And they here try to call the church to spread lie or to basically go silent, which is a form of lying. But I love Peter's response. Verse 19, but Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. That's, he's taunting them again, really. Verse twenty: For we cannot speak of what we have seen and heard. Or we, or, for we cannot but speak. We cannot but speak. The church of Christ is not nice. It is godly and speaks only from the Word of God. Even in the face of danger, we must speak the Word of God. And we learn three things in this short little verse right here. We must examine as Christians, we must examine our traditions, our beliefs, according to the Word of God. And We must be willing to abandon our traditions and our beliefs if they do not line up with the Word of God. And finally, we are to obey those in authority over us, but not at the expense of the word of God. You got it? We're reformed, people. Reformed. Reformed actually doesn't really say anything, does it? I'm reformed. It doesn't really say much because that's just shorthand. That's just the short title. Do you know what the full title of the Reformed Church is? Reformed according to the word of God. We're reformed according to the word of God. We speak sola scriptura. That's what we speak, sola scriptura. Scripture alone is all we speak. And sola scriptura is not nice. Scripture alone is not nice. Scripture alone calls Rome the greatest Christian tradition in America, or the biggest. It calls Rome the Antichrist. It calls Rome the Antichrist because Rome has taken too much power from God's word to itself. It calls Pentecostals. It condemns Pentecostalism. And it condemns cults who add to God's word. And it really speaks against evangelicalism today. Evangelicals who base themselves off men or a man rather than the church. Who focus more on health, family, happiness, marriage, social evils, politics, sex, money, making your decision for Christ, music, Israel, and America more than Jesus Christ. I think I got them all. You see, friends, becoming Reformed is a divisive act. It's a divisive act, and I think a lot of you know this truth. When you become Reformed, your friends and your family will get frustrated at you. Becoming a confessionalist, they will despise you and your tradition, but that's okay. Jesus said himself, I have come not to bring peace, but a sword, dividing father, mother, parents from children, and so forth. Nice does unite people, right? You can be nice, and it does unite. Nice does unite. That's why the... Evangelical slogan, you've heard it, right? Doctrine what? Divides? Doctrine divides. The evangelicals have drank from the Kool-Aid of the Antichrist. Doctrine divides. Be nice. Okay, yeah, nice does unite. And you can unite and be together, but you're united to nothing. United to nothingness. Our own Michael Horton, a URCNA minister, was once interviewed by Dateline. I think it was Dateline. It's one of the big major networks. And they were interviewing on, on, on Joel Olstein. And they were discussing Joel Olstein with Michael Horton. And the, uh, the anchor wanted to, you know, excite things. And he said, Is Joel Olstein a heretic? And I loved Horton's reply. Horton said, No, he's not a heretic. And Horton said, Because he doesn't say anything at all, he doesn't say anything Christian. He doesn't say anything heretical. He just simply doesn't say anything. Nice unites. Doctrine divides, but it unites you to something enduring. It unites you to truth. It unites you to Jesus Christ in life everlasting. And by faith places us in Christ where we find the greatest treasure ever. We find Jesus Christ himself. So it's no longer I who live, but Christ in me. And the life I live will necessarily be a fighting life. where the church militant. And so I end this sermon in the only name by which man may be saved, Jesus Christ, the eternal, immortal, invisible, be all glory now and forevermore. Amen. At Covenant Reformed Church in Missoula, Montana, we sincerely believe God's Word and faithfully teach it. We invite you to worship with us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. For more information, please visit MissoulaURC.com. That's MissoulaURC.com.